We are continuing our message series where we're talking about Peter, um, really an unlikely disciple, a guy who in some ways models exactly what you'd expect from a disciple, but then there's many other times where he just doesn't quite seem to have it all together. And so we can really associate with Peter as people who oftentimes, you know, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we struggle a bit. And Peter was there. Uh, Peter gives, he sets such an amazing example for us of how God can use anybody. God can use anybody, and he does. Well, today we're going to tell a story from Peter's life of when he experienced God's power in a big and, and really miraculous way, um, a very unique experience um, where Jesus, uh, he demonstrated physically the glory of God. And it was, in fact, it was so good that Peter did not want this experience to end. He wanted it to keep on going, right? He wanted to stay right there. Maybe you've had an opportunity or a situation in your life like that where, where things are just going so well, or maybe you're on a vacation or a trip, and you're like, this is awesome. Don't ever want it to end. I could just stay here and do this forever. I remember when uh, a number of years ago, uh, our oldest, I'm mean, sorry, our youngest child, Marissa, was just one years old. And so uh, I had this opportunity for Jennifer and I to go to England to tour a lot of our Methodist history, to see a number of these sites uh, where uh, John Wesley and others had, had been living and serving and all these things. And it was a great opportunity, and I talked to Jennifer about it, and she was excited about it, but she was also a little worried because she had never been away from the kids for that amount of time, right? And at the time, she was staying at home with them, and, you know, so that was a difficult thing, but she decided, hey, I want to do this. It sounds worth it. So we we're like in the airport, um, ready to go and everything, and, and I look over at her, and she's beginning to cry. I'm like, what are you crying about? She's like, I've never been away from my babies for this long and thousands of miles. I'm like, oh no, like, what have I gotten myself into here, right? This is going to be bad. Well, didn't take long before she was having a great time. It was a wonderful trip. And we're to the last night of that trip. We're back at the hotel. We're packing up everything. I'm like, man, it's going to be so great to see the kids soon. Can't wait to see them. And I look over at her, and she's crying again. <laughs> Why are you crying? <laughs> I'm going to see them. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to go back there. I just want to stay here. <laughs> now, needless to say, the first time she saw them, she got over that, right? She was happy to be back with them. But, you know, there's, there's those times things are going so well. We love it. We just don't want, we just don't want this to end. And that's where, where Peter was at in this moment. It's a story called the Transfiguration of Jesus. In the original language, the word is kind of the same root that we get the word metamorphosis from. You know, like the caterpillar to butterfly thing, back to your freshman biology class. Except it's a little different than that, because Jesus doesn't stay in that form like you'd have with a butterfly. This is just a temporary thing for Jesus, and it's a way of showing the glory of God. Now, when we talk about God's glory, this is challenging to describe, right? Because it's challenging to describe because God's glory is it's bigger than human expect, uh, explanation. It's bigger than our words. God is, His ways are greater than ours. Jesus, when, when we look at Him, He would have looked, if you could have seen Him physically, He would have looked like a normal guy, right? He's 100% human and 100% God, but He didn't like float three inches above the ground all the time or 
smell like pixie dust or this kind of stuff, right? Like, no, he was a human, like, like, like we are in that sense. And he is showing us a physical example today of God's glory. It was a miracle. There's no other way to describe it. And depending how you count, the glory of God is, is described some 300 different times in the Bible. I mean, it's a really common thing, uh, I mean, commonly described thing. Um, for example, we see it in the Old Testament uh, that talks about the glory of God descending on the tabernacle, like a pillar of fire, right? And so it was like this physical demonstration that God is here, God is powerful, God is on the move. Maybe you've had experience like that where you just feel God so close to you. And you know kind of what I'm, I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 28, or sorry, Luke uh, chapter, I messed all that up. Luke chapter 9, verse 28, not Matthew nor chapter 28, says this. About eight days after, G, after Jesus said this, and that's referencing back to where we were last week, when Jesus says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, Luke describes it as about eight days. Matthew and Mark, they say it was exactly six days. So right, right the, he, uh, Luke's being kind of general here. It says he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now that is bright, right? You know, like I wear this white robe, but it's not lightning colored, right? It's just regular white. And this is not like a miracle of really good bleach in your laundry, right? This is uncommon. When you look at Jesus, you're seeing like, it's, it's almost like a blinding kind of light, right? Like, whoa, what's, what's happening? He's, he's shining in some kind of special way here. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Imagine what that must have been like. Now, humans, we don't see the glory of God unless something special is happening. This is a very special and sacred, not normal kind of moment. And if this moment wasn't special enough for you, well, we're going to get a celebrity cameo appearance from two of Israel's greatest here, Moses and Elijah. Verse 30, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about Jesus' departure, which, was, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. So Moses and Elijah just show up. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it just kind of says these things, and it doesn't give us nearly the detail that I wish it gave us, right? I'm like, how do they even know it was Moses and Elijah? Were, were they wearing name tags or something? Or, was it popular to wear like t-shirts with like Moses' face on it at the time? <laughs> how, how do they, maybe he just like shook hands and he's like, hello, I'm Moses. You may have seen me in the Ten Commandments and other such productions. I, I don't know. But somehow they know that it's Moses and Elijah. And this is a huge deal because Moses in the Old Testament is a representative of the law. Like the first five books of the Bible he wrote, uh, he represents the law. This is the way that we're supposed to be living. This is Moses. Elijah is like the ultimate prophet. He does miracles, like ministry marked by the power of God. Uh, God uses him in great and mighty ways. And so you have kind of this like affirmation of Jesus here is really what we're getting. 
that it's like a big, the Old Testament, it's like this big arrow pointing at Jesus, right? And it's saying, hey, here's the law guy. Here's the prophetic guy. And they are showing their alignment with this plan of salvation, this departure it talks about, how Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. And he's going to send the power of the Holy Spirit to, to guide the believers as they preach the good news to the ends of the earth, right? This is what's going on. It is a big deal. Not a normal day for the disciples. They've climbed up this mountain. Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah, right? And we say, well, what are the disciples doing? Are they singing? Are they praying? Are they taking notes? They're like, oh, this is going to be great in the gospel, right, someday. No, they're not. As usual with the disciples, you've got to lower your expectations a couple of notches here, right? Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. <laughs> when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Now, to be fair, they had just climbed a mountain. That's not easy. But imagine waking up this way, right? You're like, what is go? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jesus is glowing. That's Moses and Elijah. I just know it's Moses and Elijah. There they are. This is amazing. I'm glad I didn't quite sleep through all of this, right? This is an incredible encounter that they have. Now, Peter, of course, is ready to speak up because that's what Peter does, right? We know this about him by now. In fact, if you're somebody who, who in a very powerful spiritual moment where everybody's there and it's just quiet and it's this worshipful, impactful thing, and you're like, everyone should hear my voice right now, you're just like Peter. Because that's exactly what he does. He speaks up, verse 33, says, As the men were leaving, that's Moses and Elijah, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be up here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then Luke gives us this great parenthetical note. He did not know what he was saying. <laughs> that's great. When even the gospel author is like, hey, remember, it's Peter. He doesn't always know what he's talking about, folks, okay? So whatever you just heard, that wasn't really God's will, okay? That was not what God wanted. And I think they give us this note. Why does he do this? Is he just picking on Peter? I don't think so. I think that Luke gives us this note because he wants to be really clear. This was not God's will. This was not God's intent for the situation that this thing is going to stretch on forever, okay? He's kind of foreshadowing that reality. Peter, he doesn't understand because he's just in this amazing moment with the Lord and he just wants this thing to keep going. Like, why would we want this to stop? I mean, Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah are here. I can tell I am in a very special moment. So Peter talks to Jesus and he's like, hey, shiny Jesus. Let me talk to you for a second. Peter here. Um, I, I'm kind of, the, you know, remember the leader of the disciples, right? And James, John, and I, we've been talking recently, and we really would like to kind of start our own life group, Jesus, and we would love it if you would be part of this. We think you'd be excellent. And really, we could also invite your friends Moses and Elijah. They could join our group too, right? And the only problem is, if we go down from this mountain, there's, there's nine other disciples, and those nine do not understand that we three are the best disciples. We know we're the best disciples 
because you brought us up here for this special experience, right? We're obviously the top three, but we would rather not go back down around those commoners, right? So I've been working on this. Uh, in fact, I hopped on Amazon Prime. I found I can get some tents delivered today, same day shipping. We can just camp out here on the mountain. It's going to be amazing. In fact, I've thought it all through. We've got all our needs met because Elijah's here. And I remember from the Old Testament that when Elijah got hungry, you sent birds with foods. The birds just bring this guy food, right? Like, we can do this. He can, he can call those birds back, right? And, and Moses, his specialty is water, right? Except Moses, remember, we've got to speak. Don't strike the rock. Didn't go over well last time, right? We're going to speak to the rock. We get water. Jesus, you multiply stuff. So if we're extra hungry, no problem. You got it covered, right? We're good. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's intent. And we understand what this is like because maybe you've had just a spiritual mountaintop experience before. You know, like maybe you, you went on a mission trip. Like we just had a team from Monterey come back. I'm hearing all these great stories already. Like maybe it's that. Or maybe... Um, you went on a walk to Emmaus, you know, just this powerful spiritual encounter. Or maybe it was during a song or a message at church. Or, or maybe it was some other time in your life. Maybe it was when you held your newborn child for the first time. Or the day you got married or something, you're like, I just felt so close to the Lord. I felt his presence. I knew that he was just right here with me, and I didn't want that to end. I just want to live in that forever. This is what God made me to do, right? But the problem is that Peter is trying to indefinitely sustain this moment of God that God has brought about for a very specific purpose. Remember, God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always understand what God is doing in every moment. And here Peter doesn't understand what God is doing. And so if you're in one of those moments where God has just brought you close and, and it's just a mountaintop awesome experience, great, praise the Lord. Live in that. As, as long as it lasts, live in that. That's so good. But know that God has other things for you as well. And he's going to keep moving you forward too. And that's okay as well. You see, as for Jesus and the or sorry, as for um, Peter, the rest of the disciples... The best is yet to come, really. Verse 34, while Jesus was speaking, a cloud uh, appeared, and co- or, or sorry, I said that wrong. While Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is kind of God's way of saying, Peter, shut it. <laughs> okay, I'm still, I'm still working here, all right? A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Wow. That's pretty powerful. In fact, this is a throwback to the day that Jesus was baptized. Remember? And and on that powerful day, you have God the Son physically in the flesh right there. And you have the Holy Spirit physically like descending in the form of a dove upon Jesus. And you have God the Father audibly speaking. The whole crowd hears it. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity right there in ways you can experience them with your senses. And this is kind of a throwback to that moment. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen. 
to him. Obey him. Trust him. This is a pretty incredible encounter when you think about it. It's God's presence divinely showing congruence with the Old Testament and showing that this is who Jesus is. So we need to listen up. We need to listen up. We see once again that Jesus, he's not just another man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good guy that we should, we should have our lives emulate. No, Jesus is the glory of God. As Colossians says, Jesus is the visible image, like you can see him. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He's God with, with flesh on, right? He's God in human form. Luke 9.36, when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. So the, uh, Elijah, Moses have left him. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone until, at that time what they had seen. Now we know from Mark and Matthew that Jesus actually told them to keep it quiet. He said, don't tell anybody about this until after I rise from the dead. Kind of like we said before, Jesus would manage his time with the religious leaders, knowing that, that, that it was not time yet for him to, to give his life. And these kind of stories would not go over well with them, for they did not accept him as divine. They didn't accept him in that way. And besides, how do you explain this? I mean, you've seen the glory of God. Any words you use are really going to fall short. They, they are. They're going to fall short of describing just how good God is. It was unprecedented. It was powerful. It was scary. And maybe we read this and we say, why does this happen? What's the point? What's the purpose here? Well, it gave these disciples a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, which is how we're going to experience this too someday when he returns. The Bible tells us this is he, how he returns. He returns in white, shining like the sun. That this is the Son of God, the glory of God appearing before us. And it's important because when Jesus was here on this earth, the vast majority of the time he, he is living in a very normal and humble way. I mean, when he's born, he's born to very normal parents, right? I mean, not, not ultra wealthy or powerful. We've got a carpenter, and his wife, right? And when he's born, he, they, they, he's born in a barn. They place him in a feeding trough. It's almost like, whoops, we didn't expect him, right? It's, it's a very humble birth. And who comes to the first celebration? Shepherds, like low guys on the totem pole of Israelite society. Bottom of the workforce, right? No, nothing special here. This is how the Son of God enters the world. And then what does he do? How does he spend his first 30 years? Well, he's growing up, and he works as a carpenter. He's a normal tradesman. This is how Jesus spends his time. And then when he starts his ministry, what does he do? Well, he goes to Galilee, which is not a very powerful place. It was Normalsville here on the earth. And he hangs out with pretty normal people. In fact, some of them even less than popular. And he goes around, and he teaches, and he preaches, and he does some incredible miracles and it's by these miracles we know that he's the Son of God. Because Jesus wasn't clinging for power or prestige or wealth. 
He wanted to just spread the good news. He wanted to heal. He wanted to feed. He wanted to love. He wanted to care for. And you could easily miss that this is God. And that's why God gives us the transfiguration. That's why God gives us miracles. That's why God gives us these these thin spaces where heaven and earth feel so close. And the disciples realize we're not just following another rabbi. We're not just following another teacher. We're not just following somebody who knows his Bible real well here. No, we're following the Son of God. We know that because the voice just told us this. Because Moses and Elijah affirmed this. This is Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is the Son of God. And so we worship Him. It was a really short incident. And you might think that Peter just kind of went on and was kind of like, wow, what was that all about? (laughs) That was pretty incredible, but I don't know but you'd be mistaken. Peter would understand it. After the resurrection of Jesus and he's restored, Peter gets an understanding of this. He'll carry throughout the rest of his ministry. In fact, he will, towards the end of his life, he writes the book of 2 Peter, a second epistle that he writes to, to one of the churches. And he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, we didn't make this up, okay? I saw it. These two eyes, I saw the glory of God. I saw it myself. When he received honor and power from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. He's put together the language from that day and from the, the, from the day Jesus is baptized. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We saw it. We heard it. I know who he is. I know he's God. I didn't make this up. I saw it my very own two eyes. And I'm a witness. I'm a testimony to you today that he is God, that he is real. I got a glimpse of him myself. I got a glimpse of his glory. And you know, this is incredible. Because Peter would go on and give his life to this stuff. It wouldn't make him wealthy. It, wouldn't, it would make him well-known, but not necessarily popular with many people. In fact, Peter would multiple times be arrested, multiple times be, be punished for, for proclaiming this good news about Jesus. But he couldn't shut up about it because he'd seen the glory of God. And once you've seen that, man can't stop you. Because you know that this is real. You know that this is powerful. And so Peter, he lives like this, and ultimately he he's, goes to Rome, and there he's arrested. Church tradition says that he's taken by the emperor Nero, and, and they decide that they're going to kill him. They decide, in fact, they're going to crucify him. But Peter, church tradition tells us that Peter said to them, I am not worthy to die like my Lord died. And he insisted that they crucify him upside down. Now let me ask you, what kind of person dies for something that they know to be a lie? If Peter had not seen the transfigured Christ, if he had not then seen the resurrected Christ, if he and the disciples just said, you know, Jesus, he crucified and bummer, it's all done, 
we were really wrong about this, weren't we? Why don't we make up a great story? He rose from the dead. It was awesome. Right? We should tell everybody that, right? Okay, maybe you try that out. And maybe you get some attention and people are like, yeah, you know, this is amazing. We love this. This must be real, right? Because the disciples said it. And, and you know it's a lie, but you keep telling it because a bunch of people start believing and buying into this. But let me ask you, when you get to the end of your life and, and, and they decide that you're going to be crucified for this, you give that story up real quick. Why are you going to die for something you know to be a lie? That's insane. But Peter goes to the cross because he knew it was the truth. He himself had seen it. He had been with Jesus on the mountaintop. And you know, friends, we don't get the experience of seeing Jesus. That's why he would say to Thomas that blessed are you because you, you believe, you've, you've seen the nail prints in my hands, but more blessed, more blessed are the people who are going to sit in Anderson Hills someday and they're going to hear these stories and they're going to believe and they haven't even seen me. Jesus said that, it would be, that those who would see, believe him without seeing him would be even more blessed than the disciples who had physical evidence. We experience Jesus on these mountaintops sometimes. It's like he grabs a hold of us and he, he pulls us close. And he says, I love you. You're my child. I care about you more than you could ever imagine. I've got you. I want you to know that I'm real. I want you to know that I'm powerful. That's why I brought you close in this moment. That's why I brought you close in this retreat. That's why I brought you close in this moment where, where you just know that I'm real. That's why I brought you close as you, as you walk along the beach and you see the sunset. It's why I brought you close here at Emmaus or another whatever it is. It's why I brought you close here in this song or, or in this moment in your car, whatever it is. These are real experiences. This is the power of God. And if God moves like that in your life, you ought to stay in that as long as you can. It's a great thing to do. I remember I got to go to a, a camp when I was a junior in high school. It was in Texas, which was a long ways from central Illinois, where I, where I grew up. And our youth group went there, uh, some of the leaders from our youth group, we went there because it was this powerful, powerful experience. I mean, God was moving there in great ways. The, I remember the worship music was so powerful. The preaching was, it was just so spirit-inspired. God was moving and changing lives. We had some people from our, our group who would go into full-time ministry as a result of that experience. I mean, we saw kids giving their life to Jesus, all this stuff. And I remember it was late in the week, and we were talking like, this is so awesome. We just love it here. I wish we didn't have to go back to Illinois. I wish we could just stay here and just live in this. And I remember the next day, the speaker, he was talking. And he was talking and he said, you know, uh, some of you, you, you view this as like a mountaintop experience in your life. And, and that's great. And, and you don't want to go back to normal. But he said, the thing is, this doesn't need to be a mountaintop. This should be the way you live every single day of your life. This should be the new reality for you. You don't need to come down from this. This is who you are. And I remember thinking, wow, that's awesome. I love it. I, I, that's exactly how I want to live, right? And so I, I got back home to, to Peoria, right? You know, like, like this is going to be life from now on, right? But you can imagine what happened, right? Because there was still parents, that's a problem, right? There's still school, that's a challenge. There's still job, there's still girls, there's still all of these things, right? And pretty soon, a couple weeks in, it's not that that life didn't, that that wasn't a real thing, but life had gotten kind of back to normal. 
And I remember feeling guilty. Like, oh, man, this is exactly what the guy talked about. It mu- was it real? Was it really real? Because if it was real, it would have been permanent reality. That's what the guy said. And, you know, I think the speaker's mistake was that he didn't understand this transfiguration story. And the fact that there are moments, sacred, special moments, where God just pulls us in so close, and those are real and powerful. But there's also normal life, and that's okay too. God meets you day in and day out as well. And just because it's not that ultimate mountaintop experience doesn't mean that it's not real or powerful or that God isn't on the move. No, it means that God is speaking in different ways at different times. And you know, mountaintops are great. Whenever you get the chance to be on a mountaintop with Jesus, take it, do it, live in it. But also remember, we have to get back to sea level too. Because this is where God uses us best. This is the places, these are the places where you're at your job, or you're in your circle of friends, or you're with your family, and the Spirit gives you that nudge of like, hey, you need to to tell them about me. You need to tell them how I'm changing your life. Or or you need to invite them to come to church, or your life group, or to serve with you somewhere. Or you, you need to pray for that person. Or here's a way that you could give, or here's a way that you could serve, or here's a way that I could use you. Go do it. That's real too. It's every bit as real. God meets us on the mountaintops. God meets us at sea level. If you know the story of Jonah, God meets us below sea level too. He'll meet you wherever you're at. And sometimes he'll take you up there, and other times he'll just walk with you in the normal times. Whatever it is, walk with Jesus, trust him, and let him use you. Thank you, Lord, that you work in great and mighty ways. Lord, I pray for those here today who are on the mountaintop, whether, whether they're watching with us online or they're here in person, God, I just, pray, just, I just pray affirmation over that experience and that move of you. I pray that you would continue that as long as you want, Lord. Lord, we just want to live in those moments and love them, just like Peter of old. We want to be there with you because we love you, Jesus. We love those times with you. Lord, I pray for those who are in much more of a normal time, And maybe they're wondering, are you real? Are you powerful? Were those mountaintops just fake? Help them to see your presence and your power in real and tangible ways today, God. Remind us even in these moments that you are real. You are just as real right now as you are in in those mountaintop moments or even in those difficult moments. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in power. If there's some here today that you just need to draw in right now and hold them close and let them know how much you love them, would you just do that with your supernatural touch? For the one who came here today feeling very dry and and distant, God, let them know your love and your power. Let them know that you're real and alive. Give them something, a sign, a touch from you, a a voice and encouragement to know that you are real. For the one who's questioning, God, I pray that you would meet them in their, their doubts and their questions. Meet them as they study you and your word. Show yourself, Lord, in power. For the one who is hurting today, God, questioning how you would possibly allow these things to happen, 
Wrap your arms around them, Lord. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're going to walk with them through this season hand in hand. You promise never to leave or forsake. And Lord, for the one who's on the mountaintop, make it the best experience ever, God. Move in great and mighty and powerful ways, ways that we never forget. Change us, Lord, by your power. For God, we love you so much. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.